0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Governor Cuomo cancels his hypocritical Thanksgiving plans. The Biden transition begins. AOC versus Ted Cruz on the stimulus showdown. And Mattis calls for an end to America first.
0: Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One call. Make no
2: mistake. America.
0: You're a great, great Americans. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst, former member of NYPD. I, I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime.
3: It is Buck Sexton
4: now. Uh, this Thanksgiving is going to suck a bit. This is not some existential reality. Cancel your plans if you absolutely do not need to travel somewhere. Travel by car if you must travel.
3: I don't like it to be any number. I like it to be, keep it to your immediate
5: household. Eat all of the mashed potatoes by yourself. That's what I'm gonna do.
6: Limit the number of people, do it outside, and wear your mask. If you go over to a friend's house, mask up the whole time you're not eating or drinking.
4: If you're a college student, Shelter in place for at least seven days once you arrive. Separation should be the norm. Avoiding direct contact, including handshakes and hugs. Speak softer because louder voices, shouting, screaming, actually singing spreads the virus. You can't test your way out of or into safety here.
1: How about no, Libs? Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, guys. Great to be here with you. I just want to tell you right now that the people that are saying all that stuff to you, how many of them, how many of those media figures do you think are really going to do that, are going to quarantine if they have college age children, make, make them quarantine when they come back from school, are going to wear masks the whole time they're at Thanksgiving dinner with their family, except for the moments they're putting the food in. But they, they're going to mask up between bites. That's what they say. Unless you're eating or drinking, you got to sit. So sit there at the table with a mask on and then pull that mask down to shovel some turkey into your mouth. That's what they're telling you. This is crazy, right? We all know this. People aren't going to do it. So why are they saying it? That's what I want to ask There, Why are they saying it? And maybe this is a a moment where we could do a, a a bit of a reflection on what I often refer to as the original sin of the left of the Democrat Party, of socialists and collectivists, and that is hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is an area that they always run afoul of because so much of the collectivist mindset is based upon policies that the support of which gives you the benefit of being a good person, but you don't necessarily get touched by that policy. It's for what other people should do. You know, as a leftist, as a collectivist, what everyone else should be doing. But you yourself don't think that you should really do that. That doesn't sound worthwhile or fun or that's not a trade-off you're willing to make. And you see this with countless areas of Democrat policy debates and just the way that they they go about trying to be the busybodies in all of our lives. The hall monitors. Right. They'll tell you about how they want. And this is classic with Democrat politicians. They want to raise taxes. They themselves will pay. I mean, the people that are the biggest advocates of this raising taxes on the rich, they'll have an army of accountants making sure that they hide all of the funds they possibly can. Right. They'll do that. But they also want everyone else to pay more. And if that means that wages are depressed, if that means that hiring goes down for certain industries or companies, they don't really care because it makes them feel good to support it. Climate change. Perfect example of this. All the people you see who are the biggest advocates for climate change policy on a global scale, knowing that that's going to have terrible consequences, especially in the developing world, especially in countries where they are still very much in need of the glorious economic benefits of a fossil fuel based economy. Sorry if they have to slow things down, if they can't have air conditioning and refrigeration and access to the kind of food and the kind of medicine and and all these different products and things that rely on fossil fuels if they can't really have that the way we do in the developed world you know we don't want the whole planet to overheat so too bad oh but then the collectivists come up with this other idea they'll say that's why we need to have a global wealth redistribution program through climate change that everyone else is going to pay into but trust me john Kerry, who's now been tapped as the climate change czar for an an allegedly incoming Biden administration. The transition is going on right now. They're moving forward with the transition. Whether they get to the Oval Office or not remains to be seen. But you got John Kerry coming in. This is a guy who, when he was paying the absolute bare minimum tax rate on millions and millions of dollars of his wife's investment income, he also moved his yacht from Massachusetts to Rhode Island to pay small, less tax on it. And trust me when I say this guy flies private all the time, but he's going to be the climate change czar. That's right. He won't make the changes himself, but he does want to make them for you. And you see this. It keeps repeating. It keeps replaying itself because it's a mentality. It's about an approach to life. It's a way to get out of being held accountable to principle. It's about what you support publicly, not what you do privately. That's. This is a mantra. This is a central concept for the left and for Democrats. And and in an in in an incoming Biden administration, you'll see this all over the place. And that then brings me back to Cuomo, uh, who is among the very worst governors, among the worst when it comes to uh, the delusions that he now peddles publicly about how he did a great job with leadership. He was showing everybody how it's done how you're supposed to fight back the COVID virus as a leader. Well, he's been telling everybody that you can literally kill your relatives if you see them over Thanksgiving. So that's going to be on you if you see them. Stay home, quarantine. That's what he's telling everyone. And then it comes out that he was planning to have his 80-something-year-old mother and his two kids up to Albany to the governor's mansion for Thanksgiving. And initially they said, oh, but this is within the rules, within the limitations. And then they backed off even more because people were saying, well, if you if your mother is in her 80s. Are you really going to expose her to college age or, or close to college age children? Is, is that a wise idea, given his own standard that he set that if you see your relatives over Thanksgiving, you may kill them with covid? No, that, that was a tough one. So now they're changing they're changing his uh, his his plans. Now, let me say, I don't care what the governor really does. I don't care who he spends his holidays with. And and this is true of all these different Democrats across the country. I want them to be able to make whatever decisions about their Thanksgiving that they see fit. My problem is, yes, the hypocrisy in all of this. They make mandates and dictates. They have demands they put forward, uh, demands that. They continuously violate themselves and then they ask us to ignore it or they say it's almost like they've managed to buy themselves with their good deed of making you do annoying things. You have to make the trade off. You don't get to enjoy your Thanksgiving. Then they turn around and they say, well, at least in my public life, I'm making an important difference here. So if I fail personally, no big deal, no big deal. And he goes even further than that. In the case of the governor of New York, I mean, in in California, they've got the ban on outdoor dining now for three weeks. Ban on outdoor dining. Can't go to restaurants anymore. And California is a state where there are a lot of places where you could actually comfortably eat outdoors, even without heat lamps or any of these other ways that places are trying to adapt to this new reality. In Oregon, as you know, Governor Kate Brown is telling people that they have to snitch on neighbors if they have too many people over for thanksgiving call the cops she says putting law enforcement in a terrible in an, in an unwinnable position and you know beyond that we see that there's now the CDC and the bureaucracies i mean the tyranny of the bureaucrats being enforced on all of us with you guys should not do this don't do this do that wash your hands use a lot of hand sanitizer that's really going to turn this thing around this is nonsense No one really believes any of this stuff, but they keep saying it and they view any independent thinking and any desire to hold them accountable for their hypocrisy as a threat to their authority, to their power. So they react very poorly to it. Here is, for example, Governor Cuomo, who is uh, saying that law enforcement officers, well, you've had these cops, these sheriffs who have come forward, law enforcement in different places, And they've said that they're not going to enforce these COVID dictates. They're not going to ruin some family's Thanksgiving. Can you imagine? You're with your family. You have that really what feels like a sacred American tradition of gathering around the dinner table on Thanksgiving. And you're going to get a knock at the door from a cop who's going to say, how many of you are there in here? One of you has to leave. Do they really think that that's appropriate? Is this America or not? Well, here's how Cuomo responds to what's such an obvious an obvious conclusion that so many law enforcement officers have come to. Play clip one.
6: You don't have the right to pick laws that you think you will enforce and you don't enforce laws that you don't agree with, right? That's not a law enforcement officer. Uh, That's a dictator.
1: That's a dictator, he says. Psychiatrists would call this projection. That's what it is. This is him projecting out there onto somebody else what he must know at some subconscious level he is guilty of he's acting like a dictator he does not have the powers that he is using i don't care what the what the emergency order says nobody ever thought an emergency order could be used in this way but you see the system has seams in it the system has cracks that if you want to operate in a certain way if you want to remove a, a degree of good faith from the process You can exploit it. And guess what? That's true of law enforcement officers as well. In fact, the Obama administration used an expanded version of prosecutorial discretion. They used prosecutorial discretion to pretend that the laws about illegal aliens did not count and there were no laws about illegal aliens in this country, that they weren't going to get deported. So in this case, you've got sheriffs and cops who are just telling people, look, we're, we're not planning to enforce this. There's nothing the governor can do except start firing cops, I guess, ever. He can try to do that. And good luck dealing with the law enforcement unions on that one, governor. Not going to happen. So what's he going to do? Oh, we've seen there's a limitation to his power. Oh, we've seen the real dictator, the hypocritical dictator Cuomo, all of a sudden has a lot less bite and is just mostly bark because people are saying they're not going to go along with this. What's he going to do? Gonna fire all the cops, fire all the state troopers. How is he going to know who's enforcing this law and who's not now? Sorry, too bad for him. Turns out there are some people who still think this is America and who can watch the actions of the elites and the ruling class and take away what the rest of us can see, too. Which is that this is a an exercise in a power grab that never should have been allowed, that they exploited the fear and the misery of americans during yes a very dangerous diseases spread uh, and they did it so that they could be in charge in ways that you aren't allowed to question but they want to make sure that they can still do whatever they want and ultimately that's the weakness in all of this we see they don't really believe what they say they don't take the actions they demand of you which is a reminder of a few things one these are unreasonable demands Two, they are exaggerated in terms of the threat and the way they're trying to get you to comply. And three, uh, it's time that we say no more. It's time that we hold the hypocrites to account. Force their hand. What are they really going to do? If one or two of us say we're not going to comply, yeah, we get arrested, we get fined, we get in trouble. If everyone starts saying no on that issue, outdoor dining, we're just going to keep restaurants open in the city. We're going to have outdoor dining in California. We're just going to keep serving people. They can shut down all the restaurants. This is how we can fight back against the system. But it has to be an effort for many of us. It has to be something that we can all agree on. And I think we're getting closer to being there. And the hypocrisy of the elites is drawing us in together and uniting us in this quest to take back our freedom and darn it to enjoy some turkey. Turkey. As a family on Thanksgiving.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
6: Please think about thinking about Thanksgiving differently this year, because it has to be a different Thanksgiving. We can't have you look at that current rate of increase. You're going to 6,000 cases in three weeks. You can't have an accelerant on that number. You really have to reduce that number. This is not a normal Thanksgiving. It's a better than normal Thanksgiving. It's a deeper Thanksgiving. It's a more meaningful Thanksgiving. Mariah loves me so much, she's not coming to celebrate Thanksgiving with me. That's how much she loves me. We have to get our head there.
1: If you love your family, you won't see them on Thanksgiving. That's what he wants you to know. That's what he wants you to, to take away. Yeah. This is where we are. If you love, if you love your family, you, you can't see them. This is what the elites are now telling you. I just want to know right now, do, do you want to play some bets? Do you want to take a guess as to how many of the people that have been some of the biggest advocates for lockdown? How many of them in this process? are actually going to avoid being with family on Thanksgiving. Now, I know we won't always know, but I think that there'll probably be some photos and things will circulate. We'll know because these people have security details. They have other people around them. Oh, and they have to be near them. Right. They have to take that risk. Whether we're talking about the Pelosi's or the Newsom's or the Cuomo's, you know, there there's staff. They'll know what's going on. It'll leak. And I think you're going to have some of them that are telling you avoid family and they won't avoid family, but you're supposed to. This is the Democrat mindset. You know, they don't have to recycle necessarily. You have to recycle. They don't have to pay higher taxes. You have to pay higher taxes. It's a, it's a very toxic mentality, very toxic mindset with which to approach day to day life. But that's what you have here. That's what you have. Oh, here's also Cuomo on vaccinations to justify. He wants at least six more months of dictator control. That's what he's letting. At least six more months of it. Play 20.
6: It is going to be months and months and months before you hit a critical mass on the vaccination. I will wager anyone who wants to wager, it will be at least six months before you hit critical mass.
1: Now, what does critical mass mean? As I've told you, if within 30 days we have vaccinated millions of uh, senior citizens and, and people who are at the highest risk from COVID-19, you're going to see the death rate from this, the daily death rate from where it is right now, drop off dramatically, maybe in half, you know, maybe more. Uh, and we'll we'll start getting down to numbers that we understand as as manageable in terms of cases and hospitalizations for a public health threat like this. So he's just playing games here by saying critical mass. Does he mean vaccination for everyone? We don't need everyone to get vaccinated. What do you get when you have enough people vaccinated? Oh, that's right. That dirty phrase we're not supposed to use, but is the basis for vaccination theory. Herd
0: immunity. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it's it's sort of like saying I have a constitutional right uh, to drive drunk. I have a constitutional right to not wear a seatbelt, or to yell fire in a crowded movie theater, uh, or to not follow the speed limit. Uh, it, it's you know we're talking about a quarter of a million people dying already. You know, more than, you know, the, the, the Korean War, the Gulf War and the Vietnam War added together. Uh, which part don't you understand? You wear a the mask. It's, there's no constitutional right to walk around without a mask. This is we did it in, in, in uh, 1918. I don't know why we can't do it now.
1: That's interesting, because what he's really telling you is that they the government has a right then to mandate making you do anything that it wants to. And does he have an argument? This is the governor of Maryland, Hogan, who's a moron. Does he have an argument for how there's a how's a, there's a uh, there's a legal authority to shut down houses of worship? We have a First Amendment, right? The free exercise of religion. It's not the free exercise of religion unless somebody might cough on you and you might get sick. D- does he have an argument for this? Does he want to explain? No, as we know, they just don't want to deal with the fact that they're a bunch of moron tyrants who haven't been able to save people, who don't know what to do, and so they just use and abuse their power even more. It's like driving drunk? Really? Hmm. How many people uh, drive drunk and create accidents for other people? It's a, there's, a, there's a high percentage chance, if you're driving under the influence, how many people walk around asymptomatic with COVID and give it to somebody else versus the general population of just walking around? The better the better analogy here would be no one's allowed to drive cars because 30,000 people a year die in car accidents. That's the real analogy. We don't need cars. Who says who says we need vehicles? Bicycles everywhere. That's what the Libs suggest. Bicycles everywhere. Why are you why are you such a monster? 30,000 people a year die in vehicles. Can the government just mandate? Can I just outlaw all cars because it's dangerous? Well, it could, I guess it could try if it was insane. That's what we're seeing. So that's that's a much more accurate analogy here. All right. That's a much more accurate analogy. But, you know, they're not going to go with that. Of course, it's it's nothing like driving. Oh, and he says shouting fire in a crowded theater. They love to say this. This is an analogy that's often invoked by ignoramuses. They forget that this is a paraphrasing of Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes in Shank v. U.S. back in 1919, where they, they uh, the, the Supreme Court ended up holding that it was, in fact, a violation of the Espionage Act to distribute flyers opposing the First World War. This guy was a socialist and an anti-war activist. So explicitly First Amendment protected speech was was not allowed, was was essentially struck down in 1919 as a wrong decision by the Supreme Court. This is a wrong decision. Like like many other wrong decisions the Supreme Court has made uh, because they said he said it was a clear and present danger for him to be distributing this while we were at war to say that this war is a bad idea. We shouldn't be doing it. That's right. Anti-war activism. And the argument for shutting it down was it's like shouting fire in a crowded theater. So people who invoke this as a means of saying I get to tell you what to do because it's like shouting fire in a crowded theater are idiots who don't actually know the very case that they're talking about or it's, they don't even realize it's a case it's just a phrase they've heard other people say do you think that do you think that hogan knows that background no of course not. They, well, well he's just a governor who expects him to know anything about u.s history of the law unbelievable unbelievable uh, but this is this is where we are and now they're putting everyone on tv putting them into putting the uh, pu- the public into panic mode as much as possible here's a, a cnn medical expert yeah yet another one we got to put this. I'm just wondering, does CNN ever have people on TV with MDs who don't tell the CNN brainwashed audience about how we're all going to die from COVID because of Trump? Do they ever put anyone on TV who has a more nuanced view of liberty and mandates? No, of course not. Play 16.
4: We've seen cases uh, continuing to grow since the middle of October, and uh, what I'm really worried about is what's happening in just a couple days now, which is Thanksgiving. And we know that this surge is largely driven by the changing weather and the changing behavioral patterns that come with changing weather, people going inside and sometimes spending more time uh, less physically distant without masks in uh, in settings like uh, a home or, or or other spaces. And so uh, this is really concerning. And Thanksgiving, of course, is a place, this time where people come together uh, with families. So it's really, really critical. If you're concerned about the fact that hospitali- hospitalizations are up, that hospitals are full uh, in regions across this country, that maybe you consider uh, spending time apart this Thanksgiving so that you know that every person in your family can spend time together every Thanksgiving after this, because, of course, 258,000 families uh, are thinking about a Thanksgiving with Somebody uh, who will never be with them again at that table, and so we've got to do what we can to protect ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities.
1: Why not just tell everybody that they can't go anywhere? Why not just have a a three month straight up? You can't leave your home. The government will distribute food and slide it under your door. I mean, I, I think we need to start asking these questions. Why not do that? There are lives at stake. It's only three months. It's only three months. Uh, By the way, Biden's team has said six to eight weeks. So this is I'm not that far off here. So why not just have a a stay at home order for three months in this country? Oh, because industries would come to a halt because there would be catastrophic uh, social consequences. There'd be a tremendous amount of health fallout from it. The economic catastrophe. It's not worth the cost. We as a society make decisions all the time that involve people dying. And we say, yes, we could save some degree of, of lives if we outlawed or banned the following thing. But we understand that individuals should have liberty and freedom because that's a, a basic part. Human autonomy is not something that we should just give up because the state thinks it has a better idea. This is why it's not about seatbelt wearing. It's about banning driving. Right? This is this is really where we need to go. That's where the argument and they'd say, oh, but that's so extreme. Oh, it's not extreme to tell people that they can't leave their homes or that they can't see their families on, on Thanksgiving. They can't operate their business. They can't go to a gym. They can't go to church. That's not extreme. This is crazy. and The people pushing this are part of some kind of lockdown cult at this point. Oh, we're saving so many lives. We've been doing all these things they've been saying and we've gotten 250 250,000 people is the is the death toll as of right now. So that that's With all of us doing all these great things, please. Can't be can't have it both ways. It can't be we keep doing what they tell us to do. And a lot of people are dying anyway. And oh, but so many more would have died if we didn't listen to these experts. No, I do not believe that. I do not believe that. And they can keep banning me and throttling me on Facebook as much as they want for all this. They're they're complete sheep that don't think for themselves, don't look at what's happening around them and come to their own conclusions. Now, much easier to have some idiot go on TV at CNN and act like there's no uh, there's no cost here to this. It's not just about Thanksgiving. It's about the day before and the day after Thanksgiving. It's about a government that thinks that it's allowed to tell you to do things. Look at what they're telling. There's no, you have no constitutional prohibition, to be, I mean, constitutional right, rather, to be able to breathe free, fresh air. Y- you have no right to be able to just breathe You don't have that right. It's not enumerated in the Constitution. We can take that from you. Well, What about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness? How about that? What about the actual underlying foundation for all government action? You're going to tell me that prohibiting my ability to see the people that matter most to me in the world and preventing me from being able to go for a walk outside and breathe fresh air that, that I need to explain to the government why they don't have a right to tell me not to do those things? You know, Molon Labe, gentlemen, this is getting a little bit crazy. It's gone too far. And we need we need a lot more pushback about this. A lot more. Uh, we're just beginning to see it. And, and you know, this is this guy who went in, went in and, and saying that, that the hospitals are overflowing. Where are these where are these hospitals that that have no ability? Now, I understand they don't have. Hundreds and hundreds of ICU beds in every hospital. Where are the hospitals where you show up and you and they tell you, sorry, we can't treat you, nor can our neighboring hospital We'll have you transferred right now? Where are these hospitals? I'm still waiting. To, they always talk about hospitals overflowing. Fifteen days to stop the spread was about hospital capacity, and we didn't exceed hospital capacity in April and May when you had... Uh, far higher rates of death and hospitalization than you have right now. So why would we be exceeding those capacities now? I just think about these things and I know that I'm being lied to. That's all you have to do. You know they're not telling you the truth. I've, I've been speaking to friends in New York City hospitals and say, hey, are you guys overwhelmed? Yeah, a little bit of an uptick, but it's flu season as well, and so we expected this. And they're not over. They're not overwhelmed. It's not that they they can't handle the influx of patients. In fact, patients come in and stay for a shorter duration of time. They're more likely to get out and get back home and then they're immune. That's what's actually happening in a lot of hospitals here in New York. I can't speak to every hospital in the country, but where are the where are the hospitals that cannot give care? Because that's it. That's an urgent. That's an emergency. Right. Oh, my gosh. We need. Remember when we needed the ventilators and we needed uh, the uh, Defense Production Act and we needed more people. We needed all these things. Are we back there now or are they just running the same script again to keep you keep you scared? Just wait two weeks. Hospitals will be overwhelmed. Just wait two more weeks. You'll see. And two weeks passes and everything's not what they said it was. And we go, wait a second. You guys are wrong. Oh, no, no, no. Two more weeks. The hospitals will be overwhelmed. Fauci is the single worst for this. Play 17.
0: People in those environments still don't believe that this is a problem. They say it's maybe fake news or it's just over exaggeration or it's some sort of a conspiracy. The data don't lie, Judy. The data are real. And each day they come out from reliable sources.
1: <sighs> I hate this thing that, that they say that people are dying from this and saying that it's a hoax. No one who's dying of a respiratory virus thinks it's a hoax. You know, CNN put some nurse. On, on TV who said that even as she has patients dying from COVID, they're talking about how it's fake news or it's a hoax. What a despicable thing to say. They, they're not, they don't think that the virus isn't real when they have the virus. Come on. Uh, but this is what they did. It's just a way of, of demeaning any opposition. It's a way of demeaning any pushback to these mandates and this craziness that's going on right now. You heard it. Cuomo says six months before you're at critical mass. You know what that means? They want to at least... Tell you what you can do, whether you can go to the gym, who you can see. Can you go to church? Can you gather in protest of these measures? Not allowed to do that. Six more months, at least of this. I think it'll be more like nine. They they might start to let up next June or July. That's what that's when you'll you'll really see them finally stop with all the. But they'll say, get ready for more masks this winter. And oh, and you think that they're not going to try to push these policies against the flu, you got another thing coming, which we don't have a vaccine for, aren't going to, and which tens of thousands of people die from every year. All their arguments about COVID do apply to the flu. COVID is just on a bigger scale. And if you actually look at the cases and lethality numbers now, it's even closer to the flu uh, than we had anticipated six months ago, meaning that, yes, it's it's more lethal than the flu, but not that much more lethal than the flu. So you think that they're just going to give this up? All this government control, all this mobilization of people to do what they want them to do? I don't think so. I don't think so. When, when, when Fauci goes on TV and says things like eh, hospitals everywhere running out of beds and people are calling it fake news, uh, this guy is just a classic lib bureaucrat. That's what he is. That's his mentality. He can't even help it. It's who he is. You know, He really believes, you, you know, the know, system... And, you know, the mitigation, you know, you bring it all together. And however, we're going to make sure we don't, you know, have too much of this going on. And, oh, you know, this, this guy, what exactly has been his utility in this process? I'm going to ask you this question. I really want you to think about this. Would we have been much worse off if there was no Fauci constantly going on TV to say, you know, be careful. Don't see people. Wash your hands. You really think the country would have been much worse off? I don't think I don't think it would have made any difference at all. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I I don't think that his admonitions have done anything for us. If anything, it's just been more annoying and divided us politically because he's so obviously a big lib. But people don't want to see what's right in front of them, especially when they're brainwashed. It's so hard to break through.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
2: Fifteen for a funeral, so people are starting to say it's a funeral for their turkey. So there are ways to get around this, uh, but seriously, I don't know who elected this Karen. You know, I mean, these busybodies think that they can dictate to us everything we do in our life and how we live our lives. Nothing in our country, nothing in our country's history, ever indicated that we would live in a world where one person would dictate our all of our behaviors. But even from a practical point of view, if you look at the data on this. The objective evidence is we've been putting more and more mandates on for the last six months. We have now more mandates than we've ever had, including these new ones. And guess what? We have more incidences of COVID-positive patients than we've ever had. So there's no indication, really, that any of these lockdowns or any of these mandates have slowed this down. In fact, I think the Wall Street Journal put it best when they said the virus is insidious. It's largely uh, spreading regardless of human behavior. And really the only thing that's going to slow it down it's
1: a vaccine yep there's senator Rand paul also an md notice how you don't hear the media talk about that very often senator Rand paul telling everybody what anyone can plainly see we're setting a record at this point for cases in places across the country and we're more locked down than we've ever been or at least since what april so what do we what do we think that if we weren't doing this it would be 10 times worse what if i told you and see, these are the adult conversations that we're not allowed to have anymore. What if I told you that we could get rid of everything but restrictions on the the largest mass gatherings, right? So essentially, we could say, you know, you can't have more than a hundred people indoors somewhere or I don't know, two hundred people indoors somewhere. But everything else, it's you're on your own to make your own decisions. We'll provide PPE and masks for people who want it. If you want to stay home from work, you can and there'll be funds set aside for that. But all the restrictions went away and you only had a what a 10 percent increase across the board in cases. I think a lot of people would say, yeah, yeah, that's a worthwhile trade. What about 20 percent? What about 30 percent? Well, Maybe, maybe, you know, people start to say, ah, oh, that's I don't know, you know, or, you know, but I'm just telling you, there is a discussion to be had here. We don't even have it. We don't even have it. And they pretend that even a willingness to have the discussion is evil and wrong. Meanwhile, it's just like I said about cars. You could ban driving and save twenty to thirty thousand lives every year. Yet we're not gonna do that. Why? Do we not care about life? No, we know there's a trade-off. What the Democrats, what the lockdowners are doing right now is pretending that society does not make trade offs like this all the time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: There's so much disinformation coming out about these crazy court cases that he keeps doing and what's happening in Michigan right now. I mean, it, it, it feels like a, like they're attempting a coup to me, Sonny. I know everybody doesn't want to hear that, but that's what dictators do when they try to say this election isn't real. This, it, this didn't happen. I'm going to change it
1: zero self-awareness from democrats and liberals here about the allegations the the charges they make zero self-awareness about this none let's start with this dictators do not go to court it's not what they do dictators just tell the military hey uh go round up my opposition, lock them up, and I am the I am el presidente forever, right? That's what dictators do. So this notion that having a legal team present arguments before a judge, what's happened? They, they, they have a cognitive dissonance here. They, they have contradictions in the very allegations they make. What is the, uh, you know, when you look at this, uh, they keep saying that these court cases are being laughed out of court. But then they also say that this is a horrible threat to democracy. Well, if they're being laughed out of court, if the judges are saying, no, you guys don't prevail on this particular case, which has happened in some instances with and the, they're not actually being laughed out of court, but they have not been successful in some of these court cases. And if the Trump legal team's response is, hmm, OK, well, we're going to appeal that and maybe we'll come and bring another and bring another case before the judge. That's called the system. That's called the process. There's nothing about that that's troubling, that undermines it, that's dangerous. Just not true. They can keep saying this stuff all day, but it's just not true. Okay, Uh, but they can't help themselves. And then also, they really think that we're going to forget about what happened in 2016. They really believe that we're not going to remember All the psycho libs running around acting like Trump was taking orders from Vladimir Putin. You know, I'm not exaggerating that the Kremlin was the puppet master for Donald Trump, that he was a Manchurian candidate for Russia, that this is a a time where we had a foreign asset and you had former CIA director saying this kind of stuff on, of course, CNN and MSNBC in these places. Uh, You had people that we were all supposed to listen to and take seriously. We had the entirety of the mainstream liberal press believing that the president colluded with Russia was part of some evil plot. And was there evidence for this? Was it true? No, no, there was not. It was not true. Have they ever admitted this? Have they ever come forward and said, you know what? We probably shouldn't have been running around. Pretending that that's really what was going on. We probably should have been a little bit more honest with our audiences, with the people that were. No. And are they ever going to do that? No, they're not. But we remember we remember that they were full of lies during the Russia collusion nonsense. And and that they did not accept the results of the 2016 election. And it wasn't just in rhetorical terms. They did try a coup to use fake evidence and use the security apparatus, use the deep state, which is what they did. The deep state in Turkey is responsible for many coups. Right. The Darren Devlet. This is what people think of often as the you know, they think of it as the original concept of a deep state. There is this military industrial complex of sorts in Turkey that will just step in and say, sorry, this election result will not stand. Or, you know, we're the government now. And they've done it many, many times over the course of the 20th century. That's what a coup looks like. And a coup in the context of Trump, the attempted coup, was that there were deep state individuals, Comey, Strzok, Page, Brennan, Clapper. There were people from within the security apparatus who were Democrats and who were partisans who didn't accept the 2016 election and then used fake evidence. This is all a matter of fact. Now, Used fake evidence, the dossier, which was a joke and all all full of bull. Remember the the golden showers. I mean, it was just preposterous, the whole thing. They used that and then media pressure to get an investigation going. The purpose of the investigation was to r- remove the president from office. Well, when you have a fake investigation, I'm sorry, a, 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 an investigation based on fake evidence, knowingly fake evidence, and you use that as an excuse to bring a Soviet style political persecution prosecution, that's a coup. So they tried a coup in 2016 and it didn't work. And now they're telling us that Trump bringing legal challenges and saying that he wants to establish, he wants to make it clear that there was fraud going on here. That's a coup. There was fraud. We all know that. It's just a question of how much and how much can we prove? Those are the outstanding questions. That's what still remains. Uh, But no, we we have to we have to be told constantly that the president is, is a threat to our sacred democracy. Oh, my gosh. And he's just not genteel enough when he deals with these libs play. eight.
6: One thing, though, that I believe doesn't deserve a word more. And I don't get what my brothers and sisters in the media keep playing to this. Who cares if Trump concedes? It's not in the law. It's a tradition that gives a nod to decency and disagreement. He's never been about that. He's never been about anything but his own selfish interests, and you know it. Why give him another chance to lie about the election? Or anything else? Or everything else? He isn't going to tell his followers to do anything but give him more money for a lost cause and use it maybe even on something else. Less is more from Trump, and I hope you all know that.
1: Do you think that he will go on air and apologize for this statement if and when Trump does concede? Do you, do you think that if we get into December or January and the president gives an official statement, he says, I still believe there was fraud, but I I will concede that the election results are what they are, which is possible, folks. I got I'm telling you the truth. There's there's this this is actually probable. All right. Let's all be honest about this. We, we, we are the reality people. We're not the. You know, living in a delusion, Russia collusion, people worthy what's actually happening, happening. That's what you know. conservatism at its core has to be rooted in what is true and what's really going on. They're, they're certifying states now there. This process is moving along and we have not seen the knockout punch or even anything close to it from the Trump legal team that could turn this thing around. It could happen. It has not happened. I I always tell you that I will speak the truth to you and I have to on this issue. And I think you all know it has not happened yet and it may not happen, in which case Joe Biden will be the president of the United States. But there's also an upside to this, something I hope you all remember. I hope that we all can rally around here and even some of the libs on the left. Are aware of it. They're, they're understanding it at some level. That Trumpism, as I have told you, in fact, I wrote an editorial on bucksexton.com weeks ago about this. And you should all check out bucksexton.com if you have not already today. Uh, Trumpism is absolutely here to stay. Play three.
3: Well, I think Trumpism is here to stay. Quite frankly, like you said, um, Whoopi and Joy, seventy over seventy million people voted for him, uh, in spite of the fact that they knew that he was racist and misogynist, uh, transphobic, homophobic, um, and, and, and so they voted for him anyway. Um, and it just—it just seems to me that. That uh, people's hearts and minds don't change that quickly, and if we stop talking about uh, President Trump, then you know I, I'm always fearful that past becomes prologue. Right? When you forget about the past, it can happen again and again and again. And I do think that we're seeing uh, someone that is trying to avenge, uh, you know, Joe Biden's election. Um, someone who um, is is a bankrupt when it comes to morality, and uh, you know the bottom line is this. Could happen again. Someone else could be voted into the presidency that is not as crass as President Trump, that sort of is a little smoother around the edges. If we forget who this person was in office for four years.
1: Now, there's all the usual Trump's a racist. He's awful. He's a misogynist, all that stuff, right? He's a racist who got more votes from black and Latino voters in this last election than he did after being president for four years. And then Republicans generally do in presidential elections. But Trumpism is here to stay. That's that's reality. The Trump movement isn't going anywhere. So I'm glad to see that libs. I'm glad to see that libs are recognizing this because otherwise they're going to have some kind of a meltdown when they see that America first and the principles, the ideas uh, that Donald Trump represented secure borders, better trade deals looking at American interests as separate and distinct from the interests of the global community, uh, calling out the losers and mediocrities who run the swamp for their own benefit, pretending to care about people when they don't give a damn about them. That's not going anywhere. And I also think that Trump is going to be running effectively a Trump, a Trump movement largely from Mar-a-Lago. And this is, again, assuming that we don't have that that legal turnabout that could still happen. So there we have it, friends.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I certainly would support investigating
5: the president of the United States. What he has done uh, in the four years that he has served as president is simply unconscionable, I think criminal in some cases. He's placed this country in danger. And the president of the United States is supposed to be about making sure uh, that the country is safe and secure. And he has done everything possible uh, to undermine our democracy. And I don't think that can be overlooked. And I don't know what Biden would do. And I know that Biden wants to move on. He does not want to be bogged down in investigations. But I think that the president of the United States should be investigated and we should send a message across the world uh, that we will not tolerate the undermining of our democracy in the way that this president has done.
1: This is Congresswoman Maxine Waters vocalizing uh, the thoughts that many, many Democrats share, which is that they... It would not even be enough for Trump to leave. It's not even enough if Trump loses. He's done. He's finished. They want retribution. They want to get him. And there's so many levels. You can look at this on where it's clearly insane. It's clearly crazy. There's so many. But I I would just say this, first and foremost. uh, They've investigated him for four years. (laughs) They've thrown... So much at Trump to investigate They've been, they had the Russia collusion probe and then had impeachment and more witnesses and the Congress running that. And they had they've had the Southern District of New York and they've had the district attorney of Manhattan. And they've you know, they've had all these investigate. They're investigating the Trump, uh, the Trump campaign for Russia collusion. They're investigating the Trump Foundation for like tax fraud. They're, I mean. All they've done is investigate this guy for four years with everything they've got, every tool at their disposal. They leaked his tax returns because they couldn't get them through other processes. Right. So all they've done is harass this guy with whatever BS investigations they possibly could. And now you've got a member, member of Congress and she's not the only one. There are many others who are going to want to go after him uh, when he leaves. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't think that they're going to they're going to uh, sick the DOJ on Trump like an attack dog. I don't think they're going to do that. What I do think will happen is that they'll allow it to occur at at a at a lesser level of government. Now, that that's not to say that that's not to say that there's a. No, no real risk here for the Trumps. When I say lesser level, I just mean further down the federal government. So you'll have the district attorney, Cy Vance in New York, will look at the Trump organization and, and I think they will investigate them. Uh, but they're going to try to take it away from the DOJ level, at least initially, and go lower down. So it seems like it's not coming from the Biden administration. But I'm going to tell you this right now. These people play hardball. You know, they, remember this, you know, Dinesh D'Souza, who is honestly one of he's one of the conservatives that I used to read when I was, you know, a young guy coming up in the ranks and, and, you know, right college and right after Dinesh D'Souza, who I've had on the show many times and he's a friend of the show. He was treated differently for a, a completely to say it's nonviolent is even an exaggeration. It's he gave fifteen thousand dollars to a congressional candidate who was sure to lose. But it was He. Doubled up, essentially. I think he gave two fifteen thousand dollar contributions. He wasn't supposed to do that. Usually you pay a fine and you're told, don't do anything else illegal for a year. And, you know, we'll just let this go. They made him go to a halfway house. They wanted to send him to federal prison over that. And that was the Obama DOJ. And that was acting through Preet Bharara, who was one of Obama's little henchmen. And that's the way that they treat their political opponents. They use the, the law as a weapon. So while I'm telling you that I don't think the DOJ is going to immediately because it's they want it to be a little bit more subtle. You know, they want it to be a little bit more plausible deniability, at least at first. But they are going to investigate people. You know, Maxine Waters is just saying what a lot of them are smart enough not to say out loud at this point in Congress and you know other Democrats. But what she's saying is a sentiment that they broadly share, which is that they want to see. They want to see uh, punishment. They want vengeance against Trump and against his supporters. I think you're going to see IRS investigations of people who were very vocal uh, allies of Trump. I think you're going to see um, deterrence, extremely harsh deterrence prosecutions of anyone around Trump for very minor things. And they'll tell us, I mean, they'll be gaslighting us. They'll say, oh, sorry, no, this has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, I mean, we, we, we're not we're not go, we're not going after Corey Lewandowski or we're not going after Steve Bannon or we're not going because of their association with Trump. We're going after them because, you know, they broke the law in some serious way. And we'll all say, really, just that's that's the uh, we've seen what they did to Roger Stone. Um, we've seen what they were willing to do in a a kind of court of public opinion to Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, they, they try to ruin and destroy people. So one thing that we do need to be prepared for is that even if they get their wish, there's going to be no there's no outreach. There's no real call for unity. There's no willingness to be better than they've been in the Trump era. The left is going to be out for scalps. They're going to be out to make examples of people. And you may have this this cabal of the swamp at the top with Biden and other people, you know, from the Obama administration That, you know, people like Blinken and Kerry who seem are just mediocrities who seem relatively innocuous. But it's going to be, you know, whoever is running the civil rights division at the DOJ. It's going to be a U.S. attorney for the Southern District or for the uh, for the Eastern District of Virginia. And it's going to be those players in this who, without even having to be told by the mafia boss, in this case, Biden, know who has to be made an example of. No, who needs to be punished in a Biden era. So I'm telling you this now because I think we're going to have to revisit this. Just give it time. Think of all the criminal prosecutions of Republicans that were effectively show trials if they got to the trial phase or that were just investigations where the process was the punishment. Rick Perry, Chris Christie, Ted Stevens, uh, uh, the guy, uh, what's his name? The governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. I mean, you just go, there's a whole list. I can't even think of them off the top of my head. And of course, Trump at the very top of the list with Russia collusion. So get ready for lawfare from the Biden regime, but look for it to be a little bit cloaked, a little bit insidious.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: I think they're all outstanding. I mean, what really stands out to me, Brianna, is the fact is that you're not seeing grifters, you're not seeing unqualified con artists, uh, you're not seeing people who are, as far as we know, under investigation by the FBI. I mean, it just makes you realize all of the misfits uh, that Donald Trump appointed to office. And by comparison, this is, that was really, Trump really had the Z team. This is really the A team. I mean, it's really striking to me from Tony Blinken on down. They are all incredibly qualified with decades of experience, deep knowledge of foreign policy, deep commitment to American leadership. And just as importantly, they also know Joe Biden. They've worked with him for a long time, and that's going to be a key advantage because there is going to be a trust and confidence in that team that you don't see amid amid the backbiting of, of the Trump administration.
1: That's Republican turncoat. So former Republican, you know, turned Democrat Max Boot, who's never seen a war he didn't like for other people to fight. And now he's talking about how great the Biden foreign policy team will be. I want to bring somebody in who is going to uh, shake it up by dropping some truth bombs here about what the swamp, what the establishment foreign policy team would be under Biden, but also just more generally, for, it seems like they want us to forget the lessons we've learned under four years of Trump about what does work. We got our friend Harsanyi with us now, David Harsanyi of National Review, where he's a senior writer. David, great to have you.
7: Always great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So let's let's start with the named people before we get into the uh, the philosophy of a would be Biden foreign policy. And I think it's I think this is an area where there's a lot of bipartisan crossover in terms of what's wrong. But let's start with with who he's named and what your thoughts are about the people that Max Boot, clearly not the A-team, is calling the A-team.
7: Yeah, I mean, I love that Max Boot says that this that, that was the Z-team, the team that brought or helped at least, you know, bring about four or five potential peace deals in the Middle East that uh, he would be raving about if had it had been Obama or if it had been Biden but or would be Biden. Um, Anthony Blinken, or Tony Blinken, who, who, we met, who I think he mentioned, It's been essentially has the perfect swamp resume. I think he, you know, he went to an Ivy League school. He worked for Clinton. He worked for Obama. He was a lobbyist. He was, you know, uh, Senate on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee when Democrats ran it, I believe, and has literally been wrong about every single issue by the standards that he himself set wrong on Russia when he was mocking Mitt Romney and all that was going on. You know, by his own, I don't know that the reset's a bad idea with Russia, but that's his own. You know his own words. Wrong on Syria, where he wants more troops. Wrong on um, Iraq, where he was part of the decision-making that went into going to Iraq for Joe Biden. Wrong on Israel in the Middle East in a huge way. Biden, Kerry, all these people who have been around forever say that there couldn't be any peace if we didn't first go through the Palestinians. And even the Arab League and even the Gulf states, the Sunni Gulf states are now abandoning the, the PLO and, and Hamas and moving forward, and making peace with Israel. Now, you know, whether you think it's a good deal or not, that's a separate story. Well, what it is, what it does show is that Biden's team, these, these professionals that are not the Z team, but the A team and deeply steeped in all the theories and understanding of the Middle East were wrong about everything. And yet they get to run everything and no one ever questions, uh, you know, No one ever questions them simply because it's credentialism. They have all the right credentials. You
1: know, David, I've worked as a as a research associate, a research intern at a number of foreign policy think tanks in my in my formative years and then was, was at the CIA, which is kind of like the government's little secret foreign policy think tank. Right. But a lot of you get the people come in with the same kinds of credentials you know you go to these international relations schools and everything which is one of the reasons why the cia and the intelligence community is actually so full of leftists because they tend to self-select for other people that you know went to you know harvard or columbia and they do these international relations schools where they really don't learn very much by the way it's really just indoctrination into the bbc npr view of global foreign policy i mean that's that's what you actually learn in those places Uh, But but you're you're right. And and I think this is important for everyone to think about now. We were told that Trump foreign policy because he didn't have experience in that arena. And the people he brought in were somewhat non traditional. I mean, some of them were people that have worked in this in the past. Trump's foreign policy has been mostly successes. He did not get a deal with North Korea. So let's just get that out of the way. And he tried. And sometimes I think the stuff he said was a little weird about Kim Jong Un. But still. um, But in terms of wars disasters, terrible stuff happening in a foreign policy sense. How can we view the Trump foreign policy as anything other than extremely uh, improved upon based on what we have with the Obama foreign policy?
7: Right. I forgot to mention Libya, where we went in basically for the Europeans to try, you know, which was a disaster as well, which Barack Obama in his autobiography said was a disaster. And he says that it was Biden's Biden's team and Blinken who were part of the strong voices convincing him to do it because he never takes credit for anything he does wrong, of course. But, um, and he didn't go to Congress, by the way, to do it. And that's another aspect of this I just quickly mentioned. You know, when, when I read all these stories about how great, how America's back, it's all about Europe, right? It's all very Eurocentric. The world is a big place. We have a lot of other places to deal with and a lot of other allies around the world. But yet doing what France and Germany want us to do seems to be really what they're talking about, like going into Libya, like joining the Paris Accords, which will be ratified by the European Union, but not by the United States Senate, where it should be if it's a real treaty. Um, but of course, the media will say nothing. I already see all the same folks, you know, celebrating how we're going to be, you know, back out there doing what we've done for 35 years. Never once saying, you know, we haven't been in a war during this last five, four years. You know, that wasn't started earlier.
8: Um no we, I mean, really By the
7: way, just to, just to
1: follow up on that, we're speaking to David Harsanyi of, of National Review. You should read his. Review.com. Look for David's pieces every week there. Uh, David, we not only did we not have a war, we didn't really dramatically escalate, except in the one case where there were it wasn't even really a troop escalation so much as a change of the rules of engagement in Syria, which is often left out of this. And it was early in the Trump administration. But Trump essentially said, let's let the guys in the field make the calls they need to to defeat ISIS. They mopped up ISIS in weeks. People thought. People forget that there was going to be this street to street fighting in Raqqa, and oh my gosh, we're going to be stuck there forever. Trump managed to roll them up, much more uh, effective airstrikes, put uh, embedded soldiers with the Kurds, beat back the Islamic State, and then didn't uh, didn't escalate a hundred thousand troops in Afghanistan just to look tough, which is what Obama did with no real plan to win that war. Um, and you're this isn't even brought up. I mean, the anti-war left to me is a joke because the anti-war left only exists when there's a Republican to attack.
7: Yeah, I agree with all of that. Now, listen, obviously, sometimes there is no right answer. There is no right or wrong when you're dealing with Syria. There is better and worse, I would say, right? So we do the best we can, and then we think about whether we want to be involved or not, or why we're involved and things like that. Very complicated situation, clearly. But let's talk about Iran, where, where when Trump got out of the Iran deal, people like Tony Blinken and others immediately said that they were going to make a rush towards nuclear weapons that war was a now inevitable and they did challenge American resolve a bit. And I think Trump both at the same time showed that we were pretty tough but also held back from, if you remember bombing them when he heard about what the casualties might look like. But I think Iran learned their lesson um, and then he killed Soleimani and so forth, who was a terrorist who I don't you know I just don't think Obama would have taken him out.
1: I mean, Um, it was amazing to me that the media really tried to make this whole case. I remember the Soleimani thing very clearly. You know, I was working the CIA's Iraq desk when Soleimani was I mean, he was orchestrating, uh, you know, ambushes targeted at U.S. soldiers with EFPs to maim and and kill our troops. And remember, Soleimani was not at war with us. Right. He was just killing Americans in a country that wasn't Iran because he thought it was good for Iranian interests. And he felt like it and we took that guy out and the media was was apoplectic i mean they were screaming hair on fire about the war that was coming with iran because of this no there was no war we just we just killed a terrorist that murdered on on, on his order he was like the mafia boss that called for assassinations of us troops we took him out no consequences
7: like well yeah they fired some rockets just as a show and oh, yeah but i mean
1: strength. i mean you know they yeah, fired yeah, no, some
7: yeah, 100% agree with you, and um, and also the the fact was that uh, that Soleimani was probably responsible for 5 to 600 American deaths. That's an Obama uh, administration Pentagon estimate, not something Trump came up with. And uh, he was a killer of Americans, and and the only reason we didn't go after guys like that who was freely driving around Iraq like nothing was wrong. Uh, during the Obama administration, and pr- apparently didn't realize he had to stop doing it during the Trump administration, was because the, the Iran deal was everything to a lot of these ideologues in the Obama administration. So I have to quickly say, I'm happy that we have sort of failed swamp creatures there instead of ideologues like Ben Rhodes, though there's still time, of course, for him to be be part of the administration, or maybe even Susan Rice or, or uh, Chris Murphy or some, someone like that. But, you know, we shouldn't forget still, that these people were wrong about Iran, they were wrong about moving the embassy to Jerusalem, they're wrong about everything, and we keep acting because of their credentials like they have a level of professionalism that isn't there. I I you know, wrote a column on this, but if you or I were as bad at our jobs, now thank God I don't have a serious job like you know he does, but if we were as wrong at, at our jobs, we wouldn't have a job. Well this this is, DC you get to run things.
1: Yeah, I, I never no, know this is the only guy uh, who's uh, worse
7: than blinking is, is Biden right? Biden is, has been more wrong than even Tony Blinken in his history, and he's the president now. So anyway, I just think that Trump blew up a lot of the, uh, the, the conventional norms that, we, that were ossified in D.C., that people thought, you know, this is the only way to move forward. And, they, you know, they were clearly wrong on Israel, on Iran, on, on many other issues. And I don't say, you know, obviously North Korea is a tough, tough thing and other, you know, he hasn't been great on every single issue, but just in general, I mean, the whole, his whole attitude of not being Eurocentric about everything.
1: Why is it that the elites in this country, I mean, especially if you're a journo at a major news publication or one of the uh, the left leaning cable news channels out there, whatever the, the French, the Germans and the and the English think, we're all supposed to really care. You know, they'll share polls about like our presidential election, about who you know, who do the French support? And I sit here or, or who do the Brits even support? I say. We're pretty sure we fought a war so we don't ever have to care about what they think of our leadership. Why are they so obsessed with this? Is it just this cultural affinity they have for how fancy and better than us the Europeans are? They're really not. I mean, I always like to tell people, you guys want to see racism? Go into some European countries and see how they deal with that thick minorities. But anyway, David, go ahead.
7: I'm really happy you mentioned all that because I actually am writing a book now that will come out next year on that very topic about how... Um, our elites, our journalists, our politicians are always looking to Europe despite the fact that we do everything, and I mean everything from racism to you know to assimilation to economics to healthcare better than they do um, by any standard. Um, I think they look there because they think those folks are more sophisticated than we are. When you read about Blinken, I keep mentioning him because I think he's probably the worst of the lot, but when you read about our next Secretary of State, in The Guardian, they talk about how he plays soccer and how he is bilingual and how he, you know, he goes to Europe and how he went to school in Paris and all these things, while Pompeo and others are always on conservative talk radio in Iowa and places that don't matter, right? France matters. Brussels matters. Des Moines does not matter to people in, who work at the Brookings Institute or uh, you know, work at the, at the UN, et cetera. I, you know, I think that this might bite them. I think that Americans were pretty happy with the foreign policy we had in the last four years. I think they're happy about uh, a less about a less uh, a belligerent outlook and hawkish outlook on the world. And uh, we'll see how that shakes out politically.
1: David Harsanyi, everybody check out his latest at nationalreview.com dot com and follow him on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, David Harsanyi time is always fun. Thanks for joining.
0: Thanks for having me. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. There will be no separate peace
9: between Israel and the Arab world. I want to make that very clear to all of you. I've heard several prominent politicians in Israel sometimes saying, well, the Arab world's in a different place now. We just have to reach out to them and we can work some things with the Arab world and we'll deal with the Palestinians. No. No. No, no, and no. I can tell you that reaffirmed even in the last week as I have talked to leaders of the Arab community. There will be no advance and separate peace with the Arab world without the Palestinian process and Palestinian peace. Everybody needs to understand that. That is a hard reality.
1: That is total bull, but that was John Kerry back in 2016. And notice that that he is just a stupid person's version of what an intelligent authoritative person sounds like right there will be no peace with the palestinians separate and apart from the you know this whole thing well he was wrong but he he presents this not even as his assessment or his opinion he says this is established reality he was wrong and that was in 2016 and you know who proved him wrong the trump administration that has managed to negotiate peace deals with gulf arab states and israel And there were more on the way. I think those might fall by the wayside now because there there's a a a constituency in this country of the leftists. That really believe that American foreign policy, uh, we're supposed to care a lot about the plight of the Palestinians, even at the expense of U.S. interests in the broader region, and we're not supposed to favor the interests of Israel, which is an allied and important state in the region. They really Believe that. I mean, the the left in this country thinks that we should really make a big that you and I are supposed to care about what's happening in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. I don't care. I mean, I care as much as I do about any other place in the world. I hope people are safe and fed and happy and everything's fine. But uh, I'm not about to make it the centerpiece of the U.S. government's attention in a region of hundreds of millions of people. Uh, that has seen more than its fair share of violence and war in recent years and that we just want it. We just want things to calm down. And we don't want to send our men and women over there anymore in uniform fighting. We don't want to do that anymore. And I I think you're going to see a real struggle ahead here in this uh, in this possible Biden administration. I think you're going to see a real struggle where everyone uh, on the right is going to be saying, hold on a second. We don't want we're not doing this interventionist, peacekeeping, rebuilding other countries thing. It was a bad idea when Bush pushed it and it was a bad idea when Obama pushed it. Trump didn't fall for that. We're not doing that again. And the left, because you know, the Democrats, because they'll be in charge under Biden administration will all of a sudden forget all about their, their anti-war side. We'll forget, forget all about, you know, Bush lied, babies died, and they'll be pushing for the you know, for the exertion of U.S. military power on behalf of the internationalist globalist consensus. And I'm going to fight that tooth and nail because I'm telling you this right now. I'm not going back over there for the CIA and I'm not sending a future Buck Jr. or Bucket. That doesn't sound that's not a good name. Um, Sounds like a thing you fill with water. Little little. uh, I don't know, Mark. Come up with a feeble. Little Sarah, I don't know, I just came up with a name. I'm not sending my kids over to the Middle East to fight in a war in 20 years because of the globalists.
0: I'm not doing it. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, folks, we've got our friend Boris Epstein with us now. He's a strategic advisor to Trump 2020 and a member of the legal team. Boris, thanks for making the time for us.
9: I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bob. Good to be with you, my friend.
1: So tell me, where where does all this stand right now? Because Biden is out there. He's named all these different people. He's, you know, director of national intelligence and his national security advisor. I mean, he's moving forward the transition. He's acting like this is all over. Where do the legal challenges stand right now?
9: Well, here's where it is. We continue to expose widespread election fraud and voting irregularities all across the country. Brock, if you look at Georgia, where they found ballots, seeming thousands of ballots under every rock, the, uh, the recount continues, and we're pressing for that recount to include signature matching. So it's a true. An honest recount in Georgia. In Pennsylvania, uh, the the legal fight continues. We actually scored two victories in the Third Circuit yesterday. One was for an expedited uh, hearing, and one was another procedural motion. And uh, and, and and that uh, that law law case continues in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, which was the, which is where it was initially. And now it's up to the up to the Third uh, Appellate Circuit in Michigan. Yesterday, it was disappointing to see the Board of Canvassers certify the uh, the vote, because there was so much regularity in Michigan. In Wayne County alone, 71 percent of rolls, voter rolls did not match up with the amount of people who actually voted. We're going to continue pressing our case in Michigan. In Wisconsin, the The recount continues, and, and we, we are confident that we will see at the end of that over 100,000 people who voted outside of Wisconsin law, because under Wisconsin law, under the Wisconsin Constitution... Uh, voting by mail and absentee is a privilege. It is not a right. You have to apply to be able to do so. And we're confident that when this, when this audit is done, when this uh, when this um, uh, recount is done, we will see a huge amount of folks who voted but did not have approval to vote by mail and absentee. And in Arizona, a huge array of irregularities, huge array of 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 election fraud that we've seen that we're going to be laying out and again pressing our case forward there and the same thing in nevada so that is a drawn through all the states and we feel very confident that once all the legal votes are counted the legal votes are counted president trump will be determined to have won a uh, re-election and that's why we're pressing forward in this case
1: can you just tell us boris what is the 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 trump legal team's central contention or contentions right now in pennsylvania
9: In Pennsylvania, a key issue is the fact that under Pennsylvania law, observers are are required to observe and inspect mail-in ballots. And almost seven hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand mail-in ballots in Philadelphia and Allegheny counties alone were processed without being observed. So that's a key contention. The fact that, based on the secretary of state's advice, Democrat counties were allowing their voters to cure. Ballots that were ineffective or, or defective in some way, but a Republican ballots were there's a huge due process and equal protection problem as well. So, those are two main points of contention in uh, in Pennsylvania.
1: And so now, so everyone understands a a a judge a federal judge in Pennsylvania uh, d- denied that initial claim. So it's gone to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. How soon will that be heard, and how quickly thereafter? If the campaign does not get the remedy they seek, could it go up to the Supreme Court?
9: Well, it's actually there's been a lot of motion practice there. So I actually went with Mayor Giuliani to uh, to Pennsylvania last Tuesday to Williamsport, which is where the Middle District sits, and and we filed a motion for leave to amend a complaint that to 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 expand our complaint, which happens often, especially in fast-moving litigation. Well, that motion to amend are supposed to be granted freely at the judge's discretion. The judge denied it, and that's what we are appealing right now. We're not appealing the motion to dismiss because that motion was on the first amendment complaint, which we want to change anyway. So that is why we're in the Third, uh, third Circuit right now, and we are working uh, to get to a hearing as fast as possible. We did get an expedited hearing, uh, expedited review granted to us, so a hearing on that specific thing on an appeal of our denial of the motion to amend uh, could be as soon as Wednesday, as soon as tomorrow.
1: And now, as for the the, the facts that are agreed upon, uh, as much as that exists here on, on both sides, you're talking about the in Pennsylvania, the absence of of observers right from both sides. Correct. Is that proven? Uh, w- w- is that an issue of there was a policy that Republican observers we're not allowed within a certain distance of these counts, because I've seen there's a contention there. I mean people I think Boris, are getting lost in the, well, well, what really what really can be proven here? What really happened?
9: Here's what can be proven. Observers are putting corrals, We're putting what we call them pens behind uh, you know, behind these large, large gates, and then we're not allowed to meaningfully observe. So you know, they could be across a huge hallway or something like they say, "Oh well, well, you're in the room. But nevertheless, that does not mean that they were allowed to and able to meaningfully observe. So that is what it boils down to. Were observers, period, and Republican observers specifically, able to observe the counting and the processing of these mail-in ballots, especially in Democrat counties?
1: And so everyone can understand, what's the status of of Georgia right now from the from the lawsuit perspective?
9: Georgia's going through its recount as we speak, uh, and, and we are... We are pushing very hard. There was a letter sent to the Secretary of State yesterday, and we're looking through all our options to ensure that that recount, and that's what David Perdue and Kerry Leffler, the senator, said as well, that that recount includes signature matching. So it's not a, a, a fake recount, really, which is what the previous one was, which was recounted the legal and the illegal votes. We all only want the legal votes to be counted.
1: When will we find out if they're going to do the signature match recount?
9: We are we are working on that full time and we're hoping for for a positive answer within days.
1: And uh, so this is this is really great, Boris, because I really want everyone to understand the specifics here, because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise, as you know, and we're trying to get in to the the signal here, uh, so to speak. And on on the issue of Smartmatic and Smartmatic software and the Dominion voting machines is the legal team dealing with the official legal team. Looking into that specifically at all, or is that entirely now Sydney Powell as a lawyer working on her own? And that's essentially her own thing.
9: No, our team is also looking into those issues, and Sydney Powell is looking into as well. She's mentioned, but we are we are looking into the issues with Dominion. We know that 6,000 votes were switched in Antrim County, Michigan, from President Trump to former Vice President Joe Biden, miraculously, quote unquote, and then, uh, and then switched back once it was discovered. So we are continuing to. Look into that and, and investigate uh, th- that whole situation as well.
1: And and just just so I'm I'm clear as well, we're speaking of Boris Epstein. He's a strategic advisor to Trump 2020 and a member of the legal team that's involved in all this stuff. Uh, the, uh, the 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 timelines here is is there a, essentially a point at which all all motions, legal motions you expect will be either you know decided one way or the other? Or how long can this, I think people are wondering, how long will these challenges drag on?
9: Well, it's a constitutional process, right? In the end, it is not these state officials, it's not the governors or the courts who decide and who won the election in each state. Under the electors' clause of the Constitution, it is the state legislatures who decide. And they have until midnight on December 13th into December 14th to determine who won the legal vote in each state.
1: So we have some time here. There is time for all this to play out, and this is then staying completely within the constitutionally prescribed process.
9: A hundred percent. We're following the process. Keep in mind, Al Gore did not concede until December 12th in, in 2000. So we we have time, and, and the key here is this. It's not about the president or the presidency. It's about the American people and the Constitution and making sure that American voting is full of integrity and done legitimately. That's what we're after, and that's what we want to count all the legal votes for.
1: What can you tell us about the—we the, hear often about a large number of affidavits, uh, sworn affidavits from people under penalty of perjury, who say they witnessed not mistakes so much as outright intentional fraud. Is, are, are those being— Deployed in court, those affidavits in large numbers yet, or are we expecting the, those to be introduced in the weeks ahead?
9: We're using them throughout the country, and more will be co- more will be uh, deployed as well as you said. But uh, those have already been utilized in Pennsylvania, utilized in the, in Michigan, in Nevada. We've been we've been using our affidavits from the American people who sworn affidavits under penalty of perjury to press forward our case that there was widespread election irregularity, election fraud here. And that is why this has to be worked through to the very end.
1: Are there investigative efforts also underway to try to get to some of the the specifics of, of how these frauds took place? I mean, I know that you have sworn affidavits. People are saying they saw things. Are you able to, uh, you know, is there any process for you to go to a judge to try to get a subpoena for surveillance camera footage or for documents that you have not had access to? I mean, is that also going on?
9: We're determined that on an as ne- as-needed basis, state-by-state. State. But, but our, you know, you make, obviously, a very good point. But to your listeners who are worried, do not be concerned. Rest assured that the president and his campaign and his team are doing everything possible to expose all of the election irregularity, election fraud perpetrated by the left as they try to hold on to power at any cost.
1: So, Boris, I'll let you go with this. I just need to hear it from you. You're telling me that legally, constitutionally, This thing is not over.
9: It is absolutely not over. We're keeping up the fight, and the fight is to count all the legal votes.
1: Boris Epstein, strategic advisor to Trump 2020. Boris, really appreciate you making the time. I know you're busy. Good talking to you,
0: Buck. Thank you so much. God bless. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
7: Would you go, would you how, You know, how do you go to battle with an Ocasio-Cortez at some point when she turns to the, the moderate or the conservative I Democrat would. next to her I and would. goes... I She knows oh, how to speak to I'm
3: young voters. voters, and I trust her that she actually cares about her constituents. I believe she actually cares whether people have a meal on Thanksgiving. I don't know if Marco Rubio and, does. And, I don't know and, if Rick Scott sure, cares. I'm I know sure ALC cares, and she will fight for her constituents, constituents come hell or high water, and for this country's democracy. And hell sure yeah, I would go, go to war 100%. with her. 100%. percent sure the
7: constituents those people represent those constituents feel the same way about them i don't get to make that judgment but for they, them surprise they
3: haven't passed a bill to feed them at thanksgiving surprise they're not doing a damn well, thing they to got give them to they, make sure that they, they, they eat got
7: re-elected and they picked up 11 seats so somebody saw but something what are they, they going like. to do
3: with it the okay we out of time but what the question is what will they do with it because right we'll now they're doing nathan, nathan for these people
1: nathan why aren't people getting aid from the government During this COVID lockdown period, over this Thanksgiving week, why isn't it happening? Why hasn't it happened in months? This is an important political debate. This is an important back and forth. We should all be very clear on this. We should know what the answer is here. And the answer is that Democrats like Nancy Pelosi or led by Nancy Pelosi have more important priorities, they think, then getting people in a desperate situation caused a desperate financial and economic situation caused by government policy. They're not getting assistance from that very government. It's being held up. Pelosi is holding this hostage. And there was an exchange between Ocasio-Cortez and Ted Cruz. And <laughs> now everything, all this stuff happens uh, on on Twitter. I think it's this. This is where you see so many of these uh, back and forths. Um. Ocasio-Cortez wrote, people across the country are going hungry. COVID is set to explode. And Mitch McConnell dismissed the Senate last week, Ocasio-Cortez tweeted. I don't know how people can sleep at night. I really don't. And firing back, Ted Cruz uh, wrote, why is your party filibustering 500 billion in COVID relief? The Texas Republican, Oh, no, sorry. Uh, and Joe Biden is cheering them on, thinking that blocking relief somehow helps Democrats win Georgia. The people Republicans have already passed 500 billion dollars of covid aid. That's a lot of money. Democrats say no must be more must be a lot more. Hundreds of billions more for cities, Democrat cities, to be able to come out of their budgetary holes that existed long before covid. That's really what's at issue here. But if we're going to talk about who's responsible for obstruction here, who is responsible for stopping this aid from getting to people, it is quite clear that the lion's share of the blame is Pelosi it should go to Pelosi and the Democrats. Uh, That much of it is clear. And people really are suffering right now. I think we have to remember that you're not hearing you you don't see as much of it on TV because the people that work in media, look, people like me who work in media, do commentary. Our jobs have stayed pretty constant and we've had to make some changes. But I mean, I, I don't work for CNN. I don't have some million dollar paycheck from a big legacy media institution. But a lot of people who work in areas where they can or work in uh, stay at home jobs that, that can stay at home. They seem like they're doing OK. And they're the ones that determine what goes on your nightly news. But for people that have to show up for people that have to be in person still to get their paycheck there are big problems here. Uh, this is a a Los Angeles restaurant owner. Who's talking about what these new restrictions that Gavin Newsom just put into place? What they're doing to his business, play and many other restaurants, Play Eleven. The biggest
4: toll is going to—we're gonna to have to lay off the people that we just brought back. But we're gonna to have to furlough them, likely, uh, as we downsize to a takeout only, which you know requires less kitchen, re- less front of house staff. So it's, it, this influx is just—it's it's about to break us all.
6: It's
1: about to break us all. But I guess if if he even makes that statement publicly, are we supposed to uh, to browbeat him? Are we supposed to be uh, criticizing him, attacking him for not understanding what a risk this is to everybody of COVID? Oh, my gosh. Hide. Hide under your bed. It is a manageable public health risk. It is dangerous to people who are old and infirm. It is manageable for everyone else. And what would have been a smarter strategy all along would be to create maximum protection in places of greatest risk, nursing homes, uh, places where there are are a lot of seniors who are congregated in close quarters with other people. That would have been a smarter policy, but we're not allowed to talk about smart policy because the moment we do, we're told we're being heartless and and being terrible. But I think it's pretty awful to tell people that they're going to lose their jobs, in many cases, again, because of lockdowns that just simply don't work. I mean that that that's really the you know ultimately the the problem that I see with this that doesn't get enough attention. No one ever talks about it. So you know you can listen to me on this or you can listen to uh Democrats. Listen to here. Here's Maxine Waters, play 4.
5: Yes, we have to just keep pushing. We have to keep talking. We have to try to make people understand uh the dangers uh that we're all confronted with. You know, Joy, I'm in Washington. I didn't go back to Los Angeles uh, because I Listen to the experts and I was not going to go into the airports and I did not want to do anything that would endanger me and cause me not to be able to be back here next Monday when we have to pass the HEROES Act, where we have to pass legislation that will help so many suffering people. So many people and families are hungry and they're standing in food lines and I'm so worried about possible evictions and so I think that we have to keep crying out. We have to keep talking. We have to keep trying to convince and do everything that we can to get people to understand uh, that they can take responsibility, uh, that they cannot be a part of spreading uh, this virus.
1: Yeah, the, the virus that they tell us spreads asymptomatically almost half the time. It's as easy as just I don't want to be a spreader. Put that aside for a second. Democrats demand the lockdowns, as we know. Democrats demand these lockdowns. Then they block COVID aid. Then they turn around and pretend that they care about the people that are being hurt by the lockdowns and that aren't getting COVID aid. Really, I mean, they are the arsonists running around screaming about how sad it is that people's houses are burning down while they're blocking firefighters from getting to them. That's what the Democrats are with these COVID lockdowns. That's that's what's happening all across the country. But that's certainly not the way the media is going to depict it. No. We're all supposed to stand here and clap for the the parade of swamp creatures that are going to be taking over in a Biden administration. So, you know, which we we just heard from the Trump legal team. It ain't over, folks. It's not not looking probable, but it ain't over. It ain't over till the Zoftig. Self-identified female sings.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sex, and, Sex and Show podcast. podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call.
1: Roll call, everybody. Facebook.com slash uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Uh, if you want to email us and what are the things do we have, producer Mark? Instagram. Instagram. TikTok. TikTok. Don't stop. Do the dance. You do, drop you, or, do you, you know, know who I mean? that song is
8: by that you're butchering?
1: <laughs> Kesha.
8: All right. I'm glad.
1: See, I know some things about some stuff. So yeah, that was a big song for all. I remember that one. Dude, whatever happened to Kesha? I think she's still around. Didn't she spell her name with like a money sign? I think am I so. Crazy? Yeah. yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a baller move, right? Like I mean, it makes her like stand like out. We don't say we don't say baller more. We say fire. That's fire, right? Uh, who says that? Like if something's cool, you say that's fire. No, I mean, maybe the kids do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, huh. the young, the youth. The Team Buck youth, the college age and below that listen to this show. You're going to have to learn that stuff if you're going to be on TikTok. I want to be hip. I'm like 30 years younger than all these other radio hosts. I got to be hip, you know? I got to know the things about the stuff. Yeah, but if you keep talking
8: about wanting to be hip, then you're not. I
1: think it's one of those things, too. It's like the word classy. If you refer to yourself as classy, it's not true. And if you refer to yourself as hip, I think it's also not true.
8: Correct. Yeah.
1: So, so don't I'll, say you
8: want to be hip. Just yeah, be I'm hip. Just,
1: I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm hip. I'm just fire. So there we go. Yeah, no, that's not going to do I it. I brought it, full, brought it full, uh, full circle there. And my TikTok. We got We got the Buck TikTok happening now. It's very exciting. I know a lot of you are going to email me and say it's a Chinese platform for monitoring and stuff. And yeah, that may be true. But uh, whatever. It's fun. I like it. I learned how to cook steaks on it. Follow me on TikTok. What are the Chinese really going to do with who you follow on TikTok and what you watch? It's OK. They're selling it to an American company. And I promise if I find out from my Intel contacts that they're really still spying on us, I'll let you know. So for now, if you're on, I know this audience is like, what TikTok buck? What are you doing? I'm trying to be, you know, on the cutting edge. I'm also on Parler and Rumble, you know, Parler great. I, I, I'm having so much fun there. It's it's so nice to read the comments and they're nice, sane, patriotic Americans on Twitter. I have to mute the comments because they're like, go kill yourself, you know, on parlor. They're like, Buck, thank you for your witticisms and your excellent insight. I love this country and I love Team Buck. And I just I just feel like a warm beacon of freedom every time I open up my parlor account. Now, it's great.
8: I'm glad you're getting love from somewhere. Yeah, it makes me happy. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And,
1: uh, you know, uh, producer Mark, the uh, the Snow Princess reminded me that it is almost one year uh, since I met her on the street, which is what happened. I was doing a hit at Newsmax TV. The old I think it was the only hit at Newsmax I did that whole year. And I did it because I had a couple of friends over there that I wanted to see who work at Newsmax. And so they're like, come on over, do a hit, hang out, see everybody. So I was like, all right, I'll come over. So I went over and it, you know, it was I hit it. I think there were hundreds of people who were watching it at the time. And then I, I walked back home and I bumped into the Snow Princess on the street. and That's how it happened.
8: Wow, I, I did not know that. That's how it happened.
1: Yeah, that's how it happened. And people were always like, "Oh, does that mean you met online?" No, it means we actually met on the street. So uh, did yeah. she recognize
8: so, you or something? Or
1: she was with a friend who recognized me, huh. and the friend was like, "That's Buck Sexton." And then I was like, "Who is your friend?" The Snow Princess, and uh, that's how that's how it happened. Huh, but we didn't, we weren't really able to go out for a little while because there were uh, I had the holidays and stuff, so it wasn't technically the dating anniversary would be uh, it would be uh, in February, middle of February, but okay. we did meet, we did meet on the street in. Um, in New York City, so it happened. It was like a cold. There was also one of these nights in New York where, like, why am I here? It's so crowded. Midtown was jammed with people. It was dark and cold, and I I just been in Newsmax, and I was like, ah, oh, what am I doing? And uh, and then I meet the Snow Princess. Yeah,
8: you and met her right ask, before coming to my wedding.
1: That's that's right. And people always ask uh, these. They ask about the Snow Princess, and I always say um, that it's because she's from uh, she's from uh, Buffalo. So that's why she's it's she's from a snowy place. She's the princess of the snowy place. Buffalo does get a lot of
8: snow in
1: case you didn't know that.
8: Yeah, I think that's common knowledge for most. Yeah, I'm just
1: saying I'm just saying. And Buffalo is one of those parts of New York. You know, there are parts of Pennsylvania that really feel more like the Midwest than Pennsylvania. You know, you get out in some parts of Pennsylvania and it's feels like America. You know, I mean, it's you know, Philly is East Coast. Philly is Northeastern Corridor. You get out way west, and you're like, am I in Ohio? And, and you get kind of the same thing here uh, when you're talking about way western New York.
8: Or anywhere north of Yonkers, really. Yep. The yep. rest of New York State.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been way up by the St. Lawrence River, and you're like, am I in Canada? Because it feels like I'm in Canada. So Yeah, when we drove
8: mean. up to Cooperstown around Labor Day, I didn't realize I was still in New York. Yeah. So that's the thing. People always say, oh, you're from New York. I said, that's very,
1: there's a lot of different versions of New York. This is like when I went to, uh, I went to speak in Springfield, Illinois, to a great group of conservatives there, a GOP group in Springfield. And Springfield actually has a pretty good GOP core for a city. You know, it's the capital of Illinois, which people often forget. Isn't Springfield the name of the uh, town of the Simpsons, too?
8: It is. So the, the right. joke is, which Springfield is it?
1: Right. And there's, well, there's, I think there's a Springfield in almost every state, something like yes, that. Yes, exactly. So, uh, Springfield, uh, I went there to speak, and it's funny because they said you think of Illinois and the media perception is Chicago, Democrat machine, blue. You get out into other parts of the state and there's like red America. It's actually nice. Yeah, good things. All right. Facebook.com already told you that. Let's get to the roll call. Here we go. Um, and producer Mark and I will be talking more about Thanksgiving plans tomorrow. Basically, we're just going to discuss food and things that we recommend you all try in the food realm or that you do?
8: That happens almost every day.
1: That's true, too. But, Mark, like, are you a, do you mix gravy? Do you use gravy as a kind of all of the above sauce? Like, the same way that some people just pour soy sauce, you know, on all of their Chinese food. Do you just sprinkle a little gravy on everything, or do you limit it to the, to the turkey and the mashed potatoes?
8: It mostly goes on the turkey, not even the mashed potatoes. I prefer mashed potatoes with just butter, salt, and pepper. See, I I gets on. I won't be angry, you know. Right.
1: Now, how do you feel about when you're do you do you keep your cranberry sauce and your gravy separate or do you allow them to mix?
8: I don't even get the cranberry sauce.
1: I'm not a big cranberry sauce guy either, but sometimes it does give you the salty, sweet umami flavor if you get the two of them mixed together. I'm just saying, you know, crazy things, crazy things can happen if I'm drinking, if
8: I'm using cranberry anything, it's going in my vodka.
1: I'm just going to say this right now for everybody across America. There are some difficult truths that I have to tell you people. There are some things that you need to know whether you want to know it or not. And I'm just going to say it. No celery in your stuffing and no walnuts or nuts of any kind in your stuffing. It's not civilized. We don't do that. That's not how you roll. All right. None of that. Now, if the celery is cooked. Maybe maybe I'm not going to throw a flag if it's kind of like uh, a little. But if if there's a crunch, I don't want anything crunching like that in in the stuffing. And producer Mark Walnut's in stuffing. What what are we? Who is this? Is this communism? This is insane.
8: Yeah, I don't like all the fancy schmancy uh, stuffing. Just give me the traditional way.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the more the stuffing is just about bread, sopping up the other, you know, the juice of the of the turkey. And then with butter and salt and like, that's what we really want. It's really just an excuse to eat turkey juice, butter bread, which is what stuffing should taste like.
8: You actually stuff the turkey.
1: Uh, yeah, my, my mom and usually, you know, my Mama Sexton, who's the the matriarch of the whole Sexton crew. She usually does the turkey, the stuffing in the turkey. Yeah, huh. you can make it on the side, too, though. And then all that means is you guys got to put it near your turkey on the plate. So then the juices drip into the stuffing that way.
8: Exactly. That's uh, most yeah, people, I think, make bit. it on the side
1: now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Kyle Buck, I live in coastal California and I like your experiences in New York. Oh, sorry. And like your experiences in New York, it's just silly when it comes to masks. I went for a 30 minute run today and passed six other runners. I was the only one not wearing a mask while running outside. They looked at me like I was the crazy one. However, the numerous bums I also passed who set up their shanties along the trail weren't wearing masks. So I guess I have more in common with the bums and other Californians. We both can't afford to live here and think that wearing masks outside is stupid. I'm leaving in a month. Can't wait. Shields high. Kyle, where are you going? I want to know. Got to get those conservatives into some of these key states here. You know, we need we need a continued inflow of folks from blue states who are who are Republicans into Texas. We need the inflow into uh, into Florida. You know, I would love to see Colorado turn back red. I, I know Denver is Denver is like Portland in the mountains. And uh, we've got this great audience at uh, ninety three seven freedom out in Denver. And there it's like me here in New York. I mean, they're uh, an island of sanity surrounded by commie It's just crazy. But it'd be nice if we could flip Colorado red and Arizona. We got to get Arizona back in the red column. So, Kyle, pick one of those places, please. Please don't leave, uh, you know, California and move to new jersey you know what i mean I don't, not that i think you would do that no offense to new jersey producer mark but that's a democrat stronghold so
8: i think i'm, I'm offended for my adopted state now
1: yeah yeah well there you go we got we got great jersey listeners too Jersey's very high happiness index for the state it's it's a it's a great state people just think of it as uh, very much the 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 road i-95 that the, cuts the through. armpit
8: of america is what i hear yeah, it called a lot
1: it's not fair it's not fair. Jersey's great. I like Jersey. All right, John here is very is next up. Buck, I'm very hopeful about the two Georgia Senate seats, but let's say we win them and Biden takes office. I think the rhinos will be out in force. I don't think the Republican Party is anywhere near as unified as it appears to be under Trump. I'm especially worried about rhinos in the Senate. I don't think we know who they are, but we're about to find out. I feel that if Biden takes office, the progressives will be able to get way more of their agenda through than they should with a Republican Senate. Uh, I feel if Biden takes office the progress. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, John. The left goes to the mat on their policies and on their ideas. Uh, the the left does a lot uh, that I think the right would would walk would walk away from thinking that it's too heavy handed, meaning it's too one sided for their policy uh, agenda items and everything else. So, yeah. That's what I think, John. I I think that they will if they were to take if the Democrats were to take the Senate, you would see a much more uh, extreme uh, implementation of policy than if Republicans. Now, granted, there's going to be that unified versus divided government factor. But if Republicans, I'm trying to say if they had unified government, look what they had under Trump. We had it for two years and then we lost control of the House. Uh, There was not a lot of hardcore what what'd they do tax cuts that was it that's really all we got from unified government on the right which as we all know tax cuts are always as far as the democrats are concerned they're always temporary so keep that all in mind joe next up here hello buck and producer mark it would appear the largest obstacle toward uncovering evidence of voter uh, fraud faced by the president's legal team is the necessary time to defeat the other obstacles this allows bureaucratic stall by their adversary to be a strong weapon of obstruction. In light of this, in the interest of providing future candidates a more genuine opportunity at due process, do you think it would be a good idea to repeal the 20th Amendment and move the inauguration back to March? Uh, I think the duration of a lame duck is a lesser issue, though admittedly a more common one. Shieldside, thanks for all you do. Uh, no, I, I think, uh, Joe, I can see why you're saying that, but I, I do think we need to remember that you, you want to you want it to be clear who the government is. You know, I think our transition period is probably about right. I think the founders, I think the the tradition that we have here is a good one. Um, I think that it's well. It's well established, and I think it usually works. Yes, there are timelines here, but we need there to be timelines because otherwise, remember, whatever we're able to do, Democrats will do and then some. So if we were able You know, if we were in a position um, to discuss this, right, if we were I'm sorry to to continue this, rather, if we're in a a position to continue these lawsuits, uh, you know, the Democrats would actually do that and they would drag the whole thing out and the process would just become endless. So that's why there does need there do need to be there needs to be finality with some of this. And I know that right now that's not working in Trump's uh, Trump team's favor. But I still think that because I believe in principle There's a good reason for it.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: More roll call here. Uh, Jr. thank you for the suggestion to season the bread for a grilled cheese sandwich. Look, Buck's food takes already benefits for Team Buck from it. Salt and pepper added a good flavor. It was not overpowering. I may add some roasted garlic powder next time. Thank you, Buck and Mark, for providing consistent, excellent, quality program. Shields high. See, producer Mark? Are you going to take my advice now and do a little more uh, seasoning of the bread for the grilled cheese? Yeah, I'll certainly try it. I just don't have any bread in the house right now. Well, I'm going to say, next time you get some, though. And by, this is true for any sandwich. The bread should not just be a vessel for what's in between. Make the bread a part of the dish. You know, make use i'll always tell people this too i think you can get a better crisp on the bread if you are on a stovetop use a pan instead of people love to toast it i i find that the toaster often you know goes too far for the bread i like to really have control over the heat and see it because you know toaster i'm thinking about the ones where you put them in and it's you know it pops up whatever uh, you don't always get a good result with that so do the bread in a pan um and and that way you can kind of lightly sear both sides of the pan brown both sides i should say brown both sides of the bread in the pan and use a little bit of butter uh and uh, yeah salting and peppering your bread i'm telling you folks game changer it's very important one of the things they do with the great italian like sub sandwich restaurants in new york because i used to be able to eat them before i found out i couldn't eat gluten uh they'll put a little bit producer mark a little bit of olive oil you know they'll brush the bread with olive oil yeah that makes, makes sense all, makes all the difference in the world so, you know, you're going in, you think you're going to have a great, you know, Italian roast beef sub or something. You you brush that bread on the inside and the outside with a little bit of olive oil and then sprinkle a little salt on it. Game changer. Game changer. That's what I'm here for, everybody.
8: You're just making me hungry again.
1: Yeah, I'm going. This always happens. At the end of the show, we both get hungry. All right. Uh, Robert, team buck. First off, producer Mark is awesome. I like how he pretty much stays apolitical during the fun part of your podcast. Also want to say I've been using the reverse sear method for steaks ever since I heard about it on your podcast. Well, that's more more culinary wisdom spread by the Buckster. Here's my real fear. You know the Trump law team is going to make the case public as well as in court. If the evidence, if is a, is still a big if at this point, is overwhelming and obvious, there's court and election fraud and the judges poo-poo it as nothing. What will the mood be for 73 million plus Trump voters? If judges and elected officials do not take their oath seriously to uphold the Constitution, what's the average hardworking, freedom-loving American supposed to do? Could use some uplifting thoughts if you have any to share. Thanks for all you and your fantastic team, uh, team do. Shields high. Robert, that's a we got to cross that bridge when we come to it, but I don't think we're going to get there. Um, I think that I think we're going to see the process play out and we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Shields high, everyone.